Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. Chris Tharp is an American expat, originally from Seattle, and has been living in Busan, South Korea since 2004. In the second part of the podcast, we get more into his published writing on Medium and for the Asia Times, as well as commissioned work for the National Geographic and his two books, Dispatches from the Peninsula and The Worst Motorcycle in Lao. Chris also gives us a glimpse of traveling in Georgia and through the Caucasus, which is a great read. In the top five, Chris tells us who we should be reading sitting down and listening to Foreigner, and why there's just enough cheese to make it delicious. Would Joel McHale ever return Chrissy's phone calls and the OK Hotel in Seattle? We also discuss why clicking links is the hardest thing for people to do, why self-publishing may be the way ahead, and we also have a game of Dictator Bingo. Here's Chris Tharp. I read some of your stuff, which I thought was only right, right to do. Right? So right, I, I appreciate uh, it. I, I read about, uh, the story about Dobto and uh, the beer one with Gordon Ramsay and a couple of other ones. Anyway, I kind of I, I didn't not a personal thing, but I didn't really go into the political writing that you've done or you do. Yeah. But I just kind of focused on the more kind of expat stuff, if you like, you know, uh, national and the travel writing. That was the other thing I picked up on. Yeah, the, so National Geographic. And I read, I read some of your stuff on Medium. Yeah, Medium is just over the past maybe two or three years. I've, I've that's kind of my blog. I just, I've, it's, I'm not sure how big I am on that site. I mean, you can join and then you clap and then you can get published within Medium and you can make money. There's, but I like it because it's just the format is clean, looks nice, and it's easy to put out. So those Medium pieces are just my self-published blog stuff and it gives uh, you that handy little six minute read just in case you ever only had five right and you think oh i fucking i I hate that though six minute read i'm like oh so should i be doing something at the same time or oh i i hate the read the read you know approximation that the minute count because i tend to write long and so when i when i put a longer piece on medium they're like oh you know 17 minute read i mean there are people who (laughs) click and they see that and they just say right. nope. they just run to the hills yeah no what that does is it, it's a way to encourage people to do shorter shorter pieces which is what is the world's kind of about these days but i'm not very good at doing these really short pieces i'm long-winded you i know, mean I'm like, like this in the podcast front then because i kind of tend to go on that i think they say it's half an hour to 40 minutes and yeah, oh a lot of pods go on for a while yeah sometimes you get good conversation that's hopefully the 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 crux of the matter, right? It's a good conversation. If it goes a bit longer, then so be it. I mean, travel writing is probably where I've had the most success, I guess. I mean, both of my books uh, are kind of you are travel books, especially the second book is kind of a pure, it's just travel essays. Tell us the name of them, Chris. Well, the first book was the, the book about Korea. That's called mm-hmm. Dispatches from the Peninsula. And that's the, I guess, you know, technically they classify it as a travel memoir because tra- I came to Korea and traveling, but it's also about my life here and living in Korea and the death of my parents. So I, we talked about that. And then in 2000, 2014, I guess, yeah, um, I published my second book with the same 
publisher, and that's called The Worst Motorcycle in Laos. And that is just a collection of travel essays from all around Asia, from the Dokdo piece that you read is, mm-hmm. is takes place in Korea. That was the opening essay. Then, you know, there's pieces from traveling in China, far Western China, Japan, Vietnam, Laos, uh, Indonesia, Cambodia. So it's just, you know, in the spirit of kind of the, the great travel writers that I like, just uh, traveling around and writing about my experience and, you know, trying to capture a bit of the culture, but also very much through my eyes. So that was the second book. And, you know, I'm, and I'm actually really proud of that book. It didn't sell as many as the first book, but um, critically it did a little better. And I think I kind of leveled up as a writer. You know, you're always hoping to, that your next thing's going to be a little better, you know, that you that, because it, you know, writing's like that. It's just you got to keep doing it, keep doing it, and hopefully you'll find your voice and improve and improve. And when I look at my first book, I am proud of of writing the book, and there's a lot of it that I like. But there are some passages in my first book where I'm like, Ooh, yeah, I would maybe I'll do that differently now, you know. That rough that, that was the edges, little, maybe. Yeah, just a little green, or just um, you know, just not the best writing that I could do. But the second book, I thought largely achieved my, when I read it, I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's still pretty much stands. Most of it. You know, and some of the gigs I get, yeah, most of them have been travel oriented. So last year I got Nat Geo UK, Nat Geo Traveler UK, out of the blue, contacted me and wanted me to do a piece on Seoul Barbecue. I, they wanted me to pitch me they, them on some pieces on Seoul. So I did, and they uh, commissioned me to go to Seoul, which was crazy because I was, last summer I went to the States and then I spent a month traveling overland in Mexico just for my own. And I, I wrote a, a self-published kind of little book about that. And then when I flew back, to, I flew to Hong Kong and then I flew to Seoul, had to spend three days in Seoul eating all this barbecue while I had some sort of intestinal infection from Mexico. <laughs> but I mean, obviously that was a huge, huge deal for me, you know, to finally, I had done some airline magazines and some, you know, like kind of mid to lower tier stuff, but to get picked up by one of the big boys. Right. I'm like, wow, oh, sweet, you know? And then... They commissioned me an email that, that got sent to my spam folder. This is the craziest thing. So I had done the the Korea piece and they had put it out. And my friend Ben Weller shot it, who used to live here. He lives in Japan now, great photographer. We were, you know, we're old friends. We made a great team. So we're like, hell yeah, let's do this. And they and the editors love the work, beautiful spread. The words turned out well. And so I'm hoping to get another assignment, but I'm like, yeah, the email's kind of quiet for a couple of months. And then it's just out of the blue, I check my spam folder in my email and there's, um, my main editor had gone on maternity leave. So it was another editor and my email filtered it out and threw it to the spam. And it was like, Hey, you want to go to Osaka? You know, it's Nat Geo again. I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to go to Osaka. But it was like, it had been there for two weeks. And I know in this line of work, if you, you know, you, it's kind of, you snooze, you lose for a lot of assignments. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got your message. I'm sorry. I'm here. I'm here. And she was like, yeah. She's like, I figured as much. The assignment's still open. It's yours. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm prepping for that. And then a couple weeks later, she's like, hey, can you also go to Hokkaido to do another piece? So I'm like, sure. So now I'm on two assignments. Then coronavirus, you know, blows up in China. And it's just, you know, and it's a big deal. So this is early, late January, early February. I fly to Osaka. And I do the Osaka story, like, which is on beer and food. And so I'm just eating and drinking my way through one of the best eating and drinking. <laughs> we got the Hello Kitty. Yeah. Oh, that's my kitty, Moko. Yeah, she, this is my aunt. And then I flew to Hokkaido and, uh, you know, went snowshoeing and hit the ice festival in Sapporo. And it was just, you know, it was like an assignment of a lifetime, you know, a week 
in Japan, largely paid for, absolutely styled, eating and drinking, just seeing the country in the winter, having, you know, guides and, and contacts, you know, it's big magazine stuff, yeah. you know, it's like real, you know, I'm a real journalist, <laughs> shit, and then uh, COVID hit, so uh, the Osaka piece ended up, uh, it got pushed back to September, you know, so it still hasn't been put out, the Hokkaido piece it did come out in the April, May issue, but the, I know the magazine was in disarray, I think they're having financial problems, they had, during the lockdown, a lot of the staff, it it's the, the offices are in London. People had were furloughed. They had to work from their house. So, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know if they're going to survive this. I don't know what sort of travel magazines or travel companies, any, anything related with this industry, who knows what it's going to look like in a year or two time, you know, and that's a, and so part of me is a little deflated. I was hoping to, you know, get a nice plum assignment this summer you, like your oh, foot in fine. the door, right? That's the hardest yeah, part finally, for most of us. Finally, yeah, yeah, finally, I just got my foot in the door of a big publication. They like me. I'm, you know, I'm proud of my work. I think, and it's like, but I can't, you know, I can't whine about that. I mean, first of all, I've at least I got to go on a couple of assignments. At least I got there. You know, sure, I got to play a couple of games with the Yankees. You know, <laughs> you know, you could be a baseball player, and then you know, my life's still pretty good. I still get to do all sorts of fun stuff and have adventures, and so hopefully that part of my writing career will take off again once all this blows through. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, how many opportunities there will be once this blows through. So I'll just concentrate on on other work. You know, there's always something to write. That's for sure. I read the other stuff, and now that I remember what it was, it was about the the Caucasus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was. I went to Georgia two years ago. Almost two. What's the date today? Seventh uh, uh, of July. Right. It's the. Oh yeah. No. Nineteenth. Yeah. Uh, okay. No. It was. I went in August of two thousand and eighteen. I went to Georgia, the Republic of Georgia. flew flew into Tbilisi and spent a few days there. Really cool city. Like kind of medieval looking but with this kind of brutalist soviet imprint on top of it and then i headed up into the caucasus mountains and did a five-day trek with with a couple old scottish guys i met we we hooked up and you know had a great time just drank wine every night and hiked some of the most beautiful country i've ever seen so i wrote a a travel kind of a long-form travel log i don't know it must be like i don't know around twenty thousand words and i just published it on my own at medium and then i also put it out oh here where is it Oh, no, that's the Mexican one. This is my Mexican one. But uh, I do these little booklets over the last few years. Uh, I did one for Georgia, and I've done two for my Mexico trips, which are just my travel writing. They're, it's way too long to get published in any magazine. I just do them myself, and, and I usually put them online. But people can also contact me directly, and I'll mail them to you. They're like three bucks. They're these little chat books. And I've had a lot of fun with them. So I did one for the Georgia trip called A Walk in the Caucasus. And I've done a couple for my Mexico travels as well. They're, they're fun. It's so a fun I, way to kind of self-publish it. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I really enjoyed the having never having never been to Mexico or Georgia myself. I thought, all right, this is what, Mexico's a bit more, at least you, you kind of, you think you know more of it, but Georgia's a bit of this, the great unknown, right? It's uh, the home of, yeah. home of Stalin, of course. But other than that, it's this, it's a bit of a mystery, right? An enigma wrapped in a mystery. Yeah, that's why, that's what attracted me. I mean, it's it's on the, it's tourism, you could tell, was just like, just really catching fire when I was there. They were building guest houses and, and hotels everywhere in Tbilisi and also in Mestia, the kind of mountain town I spent time in. That was booming. You know, a lot of Europeans, but also you've got a lot of like Turks and in Tbilisi, there are a lot of people from like UAE 
a lot of Iranians, you know, a lot of local, uh, loads of Russians, almost no Americans though. The only Americans you came across in Tbilisi working with the State Department, or like, or kind of embassy people. They weren't there willingly. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, it's uh... American. Americans are still afraid of that sort of part of the world, even though in Georgia they quite liked Americans because they hate Russians. <laughs> so, but they love Stalin, man. They still do. I mean, they're proud. He's like they turn a blind eye to all the the gulags and the the purges and the liquidations. He for Georgians, especially the older generation, you know, he's their local boy done good. You know, he he went on to rule the Soviet Union. A guy from Gordy, Georgia. This, you know, and so if you go to like the main sort of tourist strip in Tbilisi, all the little souvenir shops have little Stalin figurines and Stalin coffee cups, you know, he's on everything, you know, you can <laughs> like, and it's with no shame, St Stalin nutcrackers, I think I saw. Jesus. There's a little postmodernism. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Can you imagine having a, a, a Hitler ruler or like a, you know, a, a Pol Pot, you know, you know, Vase or something, you know, a cell phone Maybe chopsticks or okay. something like that, you know, and it's yeah. like those, those things that you yeah, put in the kids, the kids' uh, school bags, you know, the like fork sets. Yeah, can I have an Idi Amin, you know, toilet paper? I don't know. <laughs> Who's your favorite dictator, right? You know, that's really yeah, cool. I should I put that on my top five list one of these days, you know. Yeah, indeed. Or maybe indeed. not. <laughs> <laughs> Just before we get we get to kind of into that top five, how about your plans for the future? What are you working on at the at the moment? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. And where can we find you also? Right now I'm working on, uh, you know, I'm putting articles out and there's always links on Facebook. You can find me at Facebook, Chris Tharp. You know, you can be my, if you're a real person, you can be, and you're not, and you don't like spend your time just attacking me and trying to drag me down. You could be my Facebook friend. I have, a, you know, I, I have room for a couple more thousand friends and uh, well, it's a very good, way to keep in touch with me at facebook you can also find me on twitter at chris tharp expat uh, is my twitter i don't do twitter as much i just um it never really caught on so good but i do use it but what i'm working on is i'm doing articles right now for asia times which is a website kind of a news website for that encompasses east asia they have bureaus uh, all over the place i think these days they're based out of tokyo i know the guy who kind of brought me on brett Bradley Martin, who was an old school journalist who's been in Japan for 30 years or something, uh, he's there. And so I'm doing mainly political pieces, op-eds for them, kind of about American politics through the lens of living in Korea. I do pieces for Medium. You know, I, I just self-publish stuff. My main thing I'm working on right now is a is a novel, though. I do a little fiction. I've, I've had a few short stories, and I have a novella that was widely ignored by everyone I sent it to. Uh, <laughs> But which which I still like. I love my novella, but it's uh, I couldn't get it published anywhere. You know, getting fiction's hard. Hard to get fiction published, and it's fiction's not really my main jam. It's it's outside of my comfort zone, which is one of the reasons I'm trying to do it. So about a year and a half ago, I I finished half of a novel. It's kind of a um a satire on kind of the the ESL sort of scene of like a a failed comedian. He's a failed writer who comes to a fictitious Asian country to teach English and. It's kind of about his life, and he ends up uh, and ends up behind bars, kind of purposefully, so he can write his great novel. And so it's a, a kind of meta comedy about living in Asia, and also dealing with the, the tropes that you see on shows like Locked Up Abroad, or uh, as I was, we were talking about this before we mm. started the pod, uh, Midnight Express. So um, I have a publisher that that took great interest in the first half, and recently they uh, 
contacting me asking for the rest of the books and they want to put it out they want to put it out so i told them i'd give it give them a manuscript soon so i'm working on that and so hopefully i'll have a, a draft done in the next couple of months and then i don't know what the timeline of that getting put out if everything the stars align and it does get put out by them even then it could be a year or two you know the thing i hate about writing which is why i do so much self-published as blogs and that and i don't submit to so many literary journals and magazines is um is the timeline it takes so long for your stuff to get read and then even when it is picked up it takes another six months sometimes a year sometimes year and a half to come out it's just the i just don't have the patience for it sometimes when i write something i want it to get out there i don't it just sits there forever i mean is uh, right so you not, feel that you've lost that momentum or that you know that, yeah dude a year later that that same spirit's gone yeah absolutely and that's why that's why i like you know i'll just do stuff these days i'll even just do it on facebook rather than do a medium article or a blog thing i'll just do whatever i'm writing i was writing about my neighborhood and career kind of almost travel pieces and i'll just do them as my facebook status and that way people don't have to click on anything too because as soon as somebody has to click on another link they're like eh. Oh, do I want to click on that? And then it's like, oh, I got to read another thing and go there. And, you know, but if it's just there on Facebook, people immediately get sucked in. The problem is people who aren't on Facebook can't read it and not everyone's on Facebook. And also, if you, if you also click, if you put an external link into Facebook these days, like if I write something on Medium and then I paste it into my status update and said, hey, and it, you know, it provides the link. Uh, the Facebook algorithm tends to bury it a little bit because Facebook wants to keep people in their ecosystem. They don't want you right. to go click on other shit. Yeah, but you're right about that. That's why I like the immediacy of just putting stuff out. And that's why it's kind of nice writing for the Asia Times right now because as soon as when I send them a piece, they have an editor look at it and it, he might suggest a change or two or have a note, but usually within two hours, it's up. They put it up right away, which is cool. You're getting it right, as you said, you're getting this kind of almost uh, instant, instant gratification. That's not really what I mean, but you know, you're getting it is that you're getting gratification, you know? though. I mean, I hate to admit it, but you know, I want people to, I like reading, but I'm not, you know, I used to be an actor, I was a comedian, you know, I'm an extrovert. I'm not, I'm not a sit alone and write, I don't want anybody to read my stuff, you yeah. know, like, uh, and just shy. And you know, I, I write because I want people to read, I want to, I'm going to express myself. Uh, so I can sh I shamelessly pimp my stuff a lot. You have to self-promote unless you're some big star. Even like my books on these um, small presses, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of PR muscle. So a lot of a lot of the heavy lifting is up to the writers themselves. All right. How are you for a top five, Chris? Who should we be reading? Well, I'll just if I'm just going to say one guy you should be reading. You should be reading Jim Harrison. Uh, Jim Harrison's an American writer who was active maybe 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. He died maybe a year and a half ago. And he was a poet, but he also wrote uh, novels and especially novellas. He was most famous for, he was, he was a real master of the novellas. And he, a real sort of very American sort of writer and that he wrote about, um, you know, the upper peninsula of Michigan and uh, Montana and a lot of nature. It's like an outdoor oriented kind of rural, small town America, but with this very, uh, I don't know, just wonderful sort of sense of language and, uh, and wry humor. Um, he's probably most famous for the novella uh, Legends of the Fall, 
which they made a movie about it in the mm-hmm. 90s. It was a pretty, pretty big movie, I think, with Brad Pitt. And yeah, Robert Redford, people. I think, was a director. Yeah, 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 that, that was, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Harrison is a, is a real Western kind of writer, sort of, you know, associated with kind of, you know, macho swagger. He, he's not always easy for women to read, but uh, I, I'm not going to, I guess maybe he's a little unwoke by today's standards, but uh, he's one of my favorite writers. I, you know, and growing up, I never knew who he was. And it wasn't until three or four years ago, I got turned on and I just read it, you know, ever since then, I've been reading everything he's done. I just can't get enough. There's just something about his writing that hits me in the sweet spot. You know, it's he's like with a bit of Faulkner and a bit of bit of that kind of Hemingway thing, but he he wasn't a fan of Hemingway. Kind of hated him, which is funny. But very American, very no bullshit, um, but also very tender and uh, sweet and funny. I mean, can be really funny. He has a group of uh, novellas about this character called Brown Dog, which is my favorite character, probably his most popular character. This Native American dude who's you know drifts from job to job and is just you know his only interests in life are basically catching fish and hunting and getting laid uh who has this kind of wide-eyed innocence but this brilliant dude and they're just really funny too and really multi-layered he's when when i read harrison i get kind of hypnotized and also you know i get inspired but also i get i get like odd like it kind of makes me just want to like never write again. You're like shit, you know. I've got to, but this is the benchmark, right? Yeah, it's like if you're playing guitar and then you you see Prince play guitar. You ever, like you ever see Prince like really shred a guitar yeah. solo and you just like fucking I'm I, I quit. Yeah, Harrison, <laughs> yeah. like that for me, you know. So, but I would say read read Harrison because Harrison um again if you're into like American letters or American literature you might know who he is. I mean he was well known in in the in the scene i guess but uh i'm just astounded at how many of my friends who are even really well read don't know this guy and um yeah so read, read jim harrison it, it you might like it i love it excellent there's one one that i don't know also but definitely worth having a look at yeah very underrated i mean critically he was very highly rated you know the critics liked him but just most people don't know who he is you know except for Legends of the Fall. Well, hopefully you made a few quid on the back of that, you know? Yeah, that was his, you know, he, I read his autobiography too. He, t- he talks about it a lot. He made, he did very well. He made a lot of money, but most of the money he made was in Hollywood. He, he did other screenplays as well and was kind of a script doctor. And so he made a lot of money there, but he never made, you know, he, he didn't make so much from his books. They did okay, but it wasn't like, it's not how he bought his Montana ranch for Hollywood money. <laughs> Way to go. I think that's fair enough. Chris, tell yeah. us about a guilty pleasure then. Maybe if we talk, uh, if we switch this to music or writing, whoever. Uh, guilty pleasure, someone you shouldn't like, but you do. Well, for, for music, you know, yeah, probably one of my biggest, uh, I'll, I'll tell you both, but one of my biggest guilty pleasures is, um, I have many, but, uh, you know, I like kind of 70s guitar rock with a bit of cheese, even 80s. Uh, I, you know, I think the band Foreigner is is really underrated. Like, g- sit down and listen to some Foreigner, man. Turn that shit up, pour yourself a drink, and uh, <laughs> that it, it's like poppy, but just rocks, and it just brings me back to, 
you know, going to the skating rink as a kid. And, um, but the music works, man. That's a, that's a guilty pleasure. And there's just enough cheese on top to make it kind of delicious. <laughs> I'm trying to think, no, it was, uh, I want to know what love is. Yeah. And the video, the video videos of this time, and this must've been the mid eighties that song came out or even before that, probably 80, I don't know, early eighties. I think I want to know what love is. The videos yeah, that, were of a certain time. Let's put it that way. Who's the singer again? Uh, oh, I, I saw him once because he's a, uh, uh, Lou Graham. Lou Graham, yeah. yeah, right. Lou Graham was the name, and I actually saw him. I was at a festival in at this arts festival in Seattle, and he opened for, you know, somebody. Yeah, he's a great voice. Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of ballads, uh, but Foreigner, their earlier stuff too, like Jukebox Hero, and you know, it's just like. You got one guitar, <laughs> gonna blow you away. It's good um, old-fashioned honest rock and roll, eh? Yeah, it's like, you know, they're in the league with, like, Journey, you know. Total. like you know, and Yeah, yeah, Toto, Kansas, even maybe Sticks. I'm, uh, Sticks, I, I have a hard time enjoying, but but that, um, those uh, really sort of bright FM radio rock bands from the especially the late 70s early 80s man i got a lot of time for that so yeah, that's kind MOR. of a guilty pleasure and for and for writing i don't know you know my my guilty pleasure would just probably be as a genre as a fantasy you know i like dragons and elves and stuff and even even some cheesy fantasy i got time for you know i'll, I'll um i like being transported i you know I, I was a kid i played a lot of dungeons and dragons and uh i like nature fantasy usually you know, there's a lot of time spent in the woods and the mountains. It's a big it's camp. magic trip. happens, you know? Yeah. So uh, I still love fantasy. And it, it doesn't even have to be that good. I'll read second-rate fantasy and still kind of like it. <laughs> Easily pleased. A man after my own heart. Yeah. <laughs> what about your uh, go-to Noribang song? Or if, for those who are listening, Noribang karaoke. One of those guys who are dragged into the, the Noribang room... Uh, kicking and screaming or are you quite willing to go for your own free will oh i like to, i like i'm a, you know i'm a singer too as part of my hobbies you know i've sung for some bands i sung for an acdc band kimchi dc we had for a while <laughs> uh, i you know i used to when i was a kid i did like uh musical theater so uh that's kind of how i got into theater uh so i like to sing um i play guitar and do some music so so noribong favorites probably my go-to would be Bowie's Let's, Let's Dance. Nice. Because one of the, the good reasons, because in Asia, I don't know, when you do karaoke back home, it's often dry. But here in Asia, every machine has this crazy reverb effect. Yeah. Every one. And you, you can't turn it off either. So that works for some music. But for other songs, it, uh, you know, it doesn't really work for. But for Let's Dance, that reverb is exactly what you want. And the song's in my range. It's kind of fun, so I like that. <laughs> and then sometimes I'll also with with the Koreans I'll do Busan Galmegi, which is like Busan's theme song. It's from the '80s. It's like this um, cool kind of mournful Korean song. They sing it at the baseball games here, and I learned it many years ago. Whip that out, and the Koreans are always, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> here we go. All right, yeah, yeah they you love can, it. You yeah. can stay right. You can drink with us now. Yeah, yeah, a, bit, a little bit like your badge of honor. <laughs> If you're looking for some Bowie, actually, they just released some stuff. I know you in South Korea don't think you have Spotify yet, right? But I'm sure it's on YouTube or whatever other platforms. It was a Bowie at Glastonbury. 
Oh, I, I, I saw that, dude. I saw the let's just the let's dance. And uh, yeah, the, the the whole concert they just put an album. Oh, on. dude. Yeah, I the just band, the I band saw... are just phenomenal. I mean, I mean, Bow's great, but the band were just so good as well. Yeah, I saw. I was just on YouTube the other night, just going through music, and that came up. The last that Glastonbury Let's Dance, and uh, holy shit, yeah, because they kind of do a weird version of it, like the right. guy with, doing like Spanish guitar, yeah, right. and and Bowie's like, um, you know, he's start, he's he, he's doing a different melody, and then it kicks into the song as you know it, you know, so you still get your meat and potatoes, while he also gets to reinterpret it, and and he's just you know, top of his form, looks great. Sound. He's smoking a cigarette. Know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's totally cool. The, the, the smoke never seems to get any smaller. <laughs> every other time, I mean, it's a long time since I quit smoking a long time ago now, but yeah. Yeah, every time you'd, you'd take two drags of your smoke and you'd have like, you'd be spilling it all over yourself and try not to burn the floor and all that, you know, and he just made it look effortlessly cool, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, he made everything look cool. I mean, because he was cool. He just yeah. was. You know, it's uh, he just had it and he did it, and his music was wonderful. You know, everyone loved Bowie. So I've been doing that. I've been last night. I took the dog for a walk. It was a nice night last night. I took the dog for a walk for about forty-five minutes and listened to the Glastonbury uh, album. Just mean the yeah, dog and uh, Bowie for a bit of a. Bit of Can you imagine be, being there for that? That must have been awesome. You know, I'm not a huge big festival guy, but being like kind of up in front of the crowd for that Bowie set. Uh, that just had to be the best, yeah. Good stuff. Who would you like to collaborate with and why? Well, this one I kind of, you know, I just was racking my head because these days I'm, I'm just writing alone. I'm like, collaborate? I don't know. I mean, and so then I start thinking about like comedy mm. and like sketch comedy and improv. And then one name came into my head was... Uh, is the guy who I came up with. So I know this guy, I'm, you know, at, at risk of name dropping here, but there's this guy, Joel, Joel McHale is a comedian and actor uh, who's, he did that show uh, Community. He had this kind of satirical talk show called The Soup. He's been in a bunch of movies, but him and I started together at the Improv Theater in Seattle in 2003. And we did, and we did a lot of improv together and we got on really well. Um, and he's gone on to become a pretty big, famous Hollywood dude. And I'm languishing in Asia, writing obscure stories. But if I would ever uh, kind of want to do a performance or a show, it'd be really fun to get back together with Joel after all these years and sort of put our heads together and see what we came up with. See what you come up yeah. with. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think Joel, Joel would be a good, because we already work together. We already know each other too. Which There's a certain amount of comfort there. But I'm not sure if he'd ever return my calls anymore. <laughs> I was going to say, do you think there was a sliding doors moment when he went that way and you went the other? Way? Well, I mean, I won't. I, yeah, I mean, at this point, of course. But um, but last time I saw Joel, he was starting to already catch fire. It was in L.A. and um, you know, he he he. I saw him a few times, and he was always super friendly every time. So, uh, so I don't I don't think he would blow me off. I think he no. would. He might not want to do a show with me though. <laughs> this fucker this might take a bit more convincing huh? yeah yeah but you know i'm retired anyway. Maybe you know, I'll write see him. what's up you know invite them over and uh, you know. well yeah that's how you get it you know that's the thing is he's so famous now you 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 know i i actually could if i'd have to ask a few people to get you know his contact i probably could but uh but just like cold you know it's just it's, he ain't looking at his social media 
you know, he's got minors and publicists and his agents, you know. Yeah, he's got he's got a whole tribe. Yeah. As soon as the, that barrier between us and them, right, you're fucked. It's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. The impenetrable wall. Yeah, good luck to him. He's yeah, fair enough. Good luck to him. Uh, last question, Chris. How about your favorite venue that you've played at, performed at? Yeah, probably my favorite venue ever is uh, the, it's no longer around, but it's called the OK Hotel. It was in Seattle in the 90s, and it closed down in 2002. I was living in L.A. at the time. There was an earthquake in Seattle, a pretty big earthquake. And the OK Hotel was in an old building in Pioneer Square, which is the uh, kind of old part of town, Seattle, a bunch of old brick buildings and brick streets, uh, kind of stone streets. And the earthquake uh, damaged the structural integrity of the building, so they closed it down. But the OK was, uh, it was a bar, and in the back there was a room where they, they had bands, uh, they did comedy uh my group piece of meat theater performed there all the time um you know nirvana would play there they'd have hip-hop shows they'd have jazz it, it, it was very eclectic and we all just hung out there and there'd be you know just you know all, all us kind of young kids in seattle in the 90s that was like our the place especially people doing music and theater and art yeah they had, they had a gallery attached where there was paintings it was really at the OK, it was always the music and the work. The art was always the most important thing. And all, of course, we socialized and drank and, you know, and people got laid. Had a good time. But it, was, but it was a really, like, cool place. But it wasn't like, you know, there's never, there's never like a line at the door or like, oh, you can't come in. Like, anyone could come in as long as you're over 21. It was friendly. But you, you, there'd be, you know, Seattle rock stars hanging out there. And they could also hang out there and wouldn't be really bothered. It was just kind of. It was the okay. It was like everyone was cool. You know, it was great. It was the best place in the world. That's my favorite venue ever. Yeah. Fantastic. Some good memories as well. Chris, man, thanks a lot. It's been fantastic. Thanks for sharing your time with me. All right, Craig. Thanks a lot for contacting me. Yeah, this has been a good talk. Good luck with everything. Yeah, thanks, Craig. You take care. So you made it to the end of another episode of Can't Find My Way Home. I had a really great conversation with Chris Tharp. Can I call him Chris now? We friends? Okay. So I had a great time chatting with Chris for a couple of hours at uh, the end of July. So it's a little while ago. It's about a month or so ago. And uh, I really wish him well going forward with all his projects. So if you have the time and the inclination, please click some of the links you'll find in the description box and check out Chris's work. There's a great variety of stuff there about op-eds, uh, political news. There's some good fun stories there too. And of course, there's his travel writing. So we wish Chris all the best. You can find us on Anchor. This is anchor.fm. So just search for Can't Find My Way Home. On Instagram, can't.findmywayhome. And at Facebook, which is under at expatmusicpod. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts from, you'll probably find us there too. This is Craig saying thanks again, and until the next time, cheers. Cheers.